It's fun. John Moody, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Stephen. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Um, maybe you could take a moment, if you don't mind, just to let people know what you do, what keeps you busy. Oh, well, um, many things, but uh, sometimes just uh, washing the dishes after dinner. But that's uh, not what we're here to talk about. Um, I, uh, I worked for, for about 26 years for Fox News uh, in the United States. And um, after that, I retired and started writing books. And uh, I've just completed the third book, uh, part of a trilogy uh, about uh, China and the Western world and how China is a threat to the Western world. So that's, that's what keeps me busy now. And um, talking about that with, with people like you and working on the next book. Excellent. Well, I mean, your experience at Fox News, that's fascinating to me. When did you retire? I retired in uh, 2018. 2018. Um, uh, yeah, it was a tumultuous year for Fox. It was the uh, uh, the year uh, shortly after Roger Ailes was ousted as its chairman. And uh, things started to change very quickly at Fox News. And I had built up enough time and, and I guess enough of a pension that I, uh, that I thought this was the time to make a great selection. As I will try to do at the end of this interview, as you were pointing out with your previous guests, there's just that awkward moment. <laughs> That's much appreciated, John. Thank you. Um, I suppose, I mean, Fox News is a very uh, emblematic uh, news station of America and politics, and it's been right in the thick of all, you know, so many big election cycles. And it's it's kind of regarded differently depending on whether you're a conservative or whether you're left-leaning liberal. I mean, what's your perception of it as a, as a news organization in, in terms of objective journalism versus say propaganda well i guess the answer to that is it depends on what time of day you're talking about um <laughs> for, for much of the daytime hours fox news is a, a reliable um pretty much straightforward uh, news organization when the evening comes and the sun begins to set uh you know the vampires come out and uh, there's a lot of talk shows that uh, express opinions rather than facts that have been proven and can be shared with our audience that, that's fascinating to me because, I mean, I, I live in the UK and uh, our news media is very heavily regulated in terms of if they are emphatic with one particular viewpoint, they have to then balance it out with an opposing voice. And they can actually run into a lot of trouble financially from big, you know, uh, kind of uh, regulatory bodies. They can get fines and things like that. And part of me is kind of happy for that. And part of me thinks, well, that's a free speech issue. Where, where do you lie in terms of regulating the media in that sense? you think it's a good idea to have people regulate objectivity on on news channels uh no by and large um I, it, it's always a comforting feeling to think that mummy is there to make sure that everything is all right in your life uh, the truth is mummy sometimes you know has had a nip of gin and, and gone off the, <laughs> off the road a bit um, I, I think that ofcom is i i'll say it and i'll take the Take whatever consequences are coming. I think that Ofcom is a terrible idea that abuses its power and abuses it with one purpose in mind, and that's to shut down one tone of voice. Uh, and that doesn't really comply with democracy the way I understand it. Well, don't worry, we're not regulated by Ofcom over. It's practically the Wild West over on, on YouTube, which you'll be good to know. Unless we say anything considered to be hate speech, and then maybe we'll get a visit from a, a UK bobby but seems I, unlikely I, I know there are limits and i'll try to stay behind between the sidelines wonderful appreciate it so t tell me about your perception of biden then i mean how how is he doing as a president first of all i mean it seems to me that 
he's less exciting from a news cycle point of view. A lot of people, I think, appreciate that. A lot of people are pointing to his frailties and kind of cognitive issues that he seems to be having. What's your perception of his, his time in charge so far? I think he was a necessary corrective to the four tumultuous years of Donald Trump's presidency. I think people were looking for a calmer atmosphere. I think they were looking for someone who had a track record in American politics. And, and say what you will, Joe Biden has been a long-standing member of the political class in the United States. He knew a lot of politicians. He knew a lot of people that politicians know. And he appeared to be this safe, sane choice. Uh, I, you know, personally, I, I think that, that he did not so much win the election as Trump lost it. Uh, if, if Trump had, had managed to actually secure his lips with a, with a clothespin uh, for the last three months of the election, he'd still be president. Uh, but Joe Biden came in and had almost an un, unimaginable string of bad luck. Uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a national disaster. Uh, it was explained away. You know, we, we couldn't have foreseen this. Well, no, of course you couldn't have foreseen a terrorist bombing. It very seldom is, is broadcast on the news beforehand. Um, I think that his, his ideas about clean energy uh, were not enunciated clearly enough to people. Everybody wants clean skies and everybody wants the sun to come out and everybody wants the water to re remain at the same level. Um, but this was just taken for granted. You know, if you don't agree with this, then you're stupid. And, and people, and I, I, I will only say it about Americans, don't like to be told they're stupid, uh, even if they are, and that so many of them are. Uh, and so I think that, that Joe Biden had good intentions. I think that he was a, um, a, a person of, of quality uh, and of experience, uh, but the things that he faced almost as soon as he got into office were, were a, a hurdle for anyone to get over. And he did not perform well when faced with those hurdles. Yeah. And just as a, a, a strange curiosity, and this is, I suppose, an observation more than any sort of judgment, but I suppose in the, the sort of free Western world, America seems quite unique in terms of the fact that a lot of its presidents in the last you know several years and a lot of the presidential hopefuls seem to be in quite advanced years uh, age wise. And that that seems to kind of um, seems seems at odds with a kind of the American attitude of, you know, young and up and coming success. And you can make it in any other area as a kind of very young, motivated person, whereas in politics and the, the top spot, the White House seems to predominantly be taken by men of advanced years. I mean, what what does that does that I mean? First of all, does that ring true to you? And is there anything you can tell me that might explain that? I think it rings very true, Stephen. Um, look, there's the there's the unimaginable idea that, you know, we don't worry so much about getting reelected. We're just here to help the people and do a good job and make the world a better place. Well, none of that's true. Every politician that gets into office immediately begins to think about his or her reelection. And once you start thinking about your reelection as the most important part of your life, you're, you're loath to give it up. And so you slowly creep to the top of your party, not completely unlike the UK, um, but, uh, you know, then, then some, somebody says, well, aren't you getting a little bit old? Aren't you a bit long in the tooth? And you react with, with 
indignation and you say that's a terrible thing to say about me i've given my life to this country and what people are really saying is yeah we know you have and it's time to stop yeah no that's that's a, that's a really good answer so i mean what can you tell me about biden and his relationship with china now because china is obviously uh, you know a huge uh, threat uh to you know american security it's a huge economic powerhouse and i suppose it's a case of having to uh, find this balance between finger wagging at china for things it may be culpable for or guilty of and then maintaining this relationship so that the entire western economic system doesn't collapse so i mean what, what's the relationship like between uh, america and china right now i think it's a master pet relationship at this moment um i think china has moved so far towards supremacy and they've done it openly by the way um they don't announce it in their newspapers but it's so clear if you follow the the movements of xi jinping who's the ultimate leader in china uh and and his cohorts that china wants to become the world's one superpower uh they've had enough of the united states they think the united states is in fatal decline and uh, their all of their indications are that they want to be the most powerful country on the face of the earth. And they have a good chance of doing it. Um, so what the, what is the relationship? I think that when we saw Joe Biden meet Xi Jinping in San Francisco in, in November of last year, we got a pretty good idea of it. Uh, you know, the, the it's always important not to just look at the event itself, but the advance work that went on before the event. And before Xi Jinping agreed to meet Biden in San Francisco, his advance team said, here's what we want. When President Xi lands at San Francisco airport, we want him to be met by a, a, a military armed guard of, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to welcome him to the United States. As he com comes into the city on his motorcade, we want crowds of adoring people waving only Chinese flags, only, no American flags, to be there to welcome him on the sides of the streets as his motorcade passed. They said, okay, we'll do that. That evening, uh, when he addressed a lot of tech CEOs of American companies, before he even said a word, as he was walking to the stage to begin his remarks, the CEOs and everybody else in that room stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Now, these are signals, and these are not signals that a pro like Xi Jinping is going to misunderstand. That was that those signals were, you know, we don't like everything you're doing. We wish you'd stop torturing and exterminating Uyghurs in, in the Xinjiang province. And we sort of wish you'd stop threatening Taiwan because it's really causing us to, to stay up at night and think about it. Uh, but in the meantime, as long as we can make money off you, yeah, you're welcome. Of course you can. Yeah, do whatever you want. Uh, Xi Jinping told Biden at that meeting, we would really, really like to take over Taiwan peacefully. And Biden said, yes, I see that. Uh, no, 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 you don't take over Taiwan. It's a country. And, and, you know, whether you say it or not, the United States is going to defend Taiwan if you start military action against it. And so that tepid response and the, the sort of half head shake um, were another signal that she took back to Beijing and is now in a position of unquestioned authority in China and can pretty much do whatever he dares do. Yeah. I mean, 
that that's fascinating in terms of how we kind of put aside all the human rights violations you mentioned the Uyghurs there of course and I mean just the animal rights record enough is enough for me to kind of make my head spin we, we put all that aside I mean in the west we we kind of talk a good game about how committed we are to humanitarianism you know uh, uh, resourcefulness and uh, you know climate change and things like that yet we kind of body up with China who seems to be the antithesis of all them things and I, I suppose my question is in a roundabout way if any other nation was responsible for unleashing a, a virus that caused a global pandemic you know millions dead you know end of you know economies uh, people are still suffering today financially and uh, through their health do you think they would have just got away with it as easy as China appears to have it seems to me that there have been zero ramifications for that whatsoever well, you've raised the topic, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer it. That was the, the theme of the first of the three books that I wrote about China and the Western world. Uh, you know, who created this virus and what are we supposed to call it? And once again, uh, you know, the, the world, I'm using the world in, in parentheses, the world stepped in and said, well, let's just call it COVID because nobody knows what that means. And everybody said, okay, yeah, that's fine, good. United Nations said that, okay. Center for Disease Control in the United States said, okay. And, and all the news media uh, in the United States said, sure, whatever you say. Yeah, we don't want to upset China. That might be racist. Uh, it, was, it was just a, it was a power play and they got away with it. And so once again, a signal was sent to Xi Jinping, go for it, do whatever you want. Nobody's going to stop you. Yeah, no, I remember that at the time, obviously any kind of criticism were put, you know, you were put in the racist uh, basket just for kind of pointing out the the origin of something which is very strange but in terms of like china is this huge superpower uh obviously people tend to fear their military might uh there was a report recently in bloomberg however that kind of made the case that there's so much corruption within china that it, it might it may pose a problem for them militarily uh if there ever were to be need for you know military action from china is that is that something you've been keeping an eye on what are your opinions on that yeah, that Bloomberg article was very important because it was based on reporting. Uh, it wasn't just based on, on what they wish was true, and it wasn't these unnamed sources, et cetera. Uh, what they found were, were documents that showed that the Chinese military suppliers, uh, most of whom are, are incorporated into the People's Liberation Army, were doing things like sending shells, military uh, explosive shells, to, to the People's Liberation Army, to be launched from the ground, from silos. And their warheads were filled with water, not with explosives, because it was cheaper and they got away with it. Um, there, were, there were stories about, about soldiers being sent rags instead of uniforms by these suppliers. And the soldiers would complain about it and their commanding officers who were getting a kickback from this deal told them to shut up and obey orders. Uh, so, yes, there are, I think there are now, and this reached Xi Jinping, of course, and he is now un, under, go, undertaking a purge of some of the senior military leaders. The problem is that he appointed most of them himself. So, you know, keep your friends closer and your enemies for closer than whatever that saying is. Uh, and now he has to undo that and go to all these people that he appointed, who are his cronies, and say, uh, you know, hey, I, I appointed you to, to do a good job and to keep the corruption to a minimum, and now you're embarrassing me. Yeah, that's what happens when you appoint bad people. So, yeah, that's, that's where that is. There are questions about whether China's ready to fight an all-out war. And by all-out, I mean to invade and conquer uh, Taiwan. Uh, I don't think China wants or, or would 
would ever allow itself to become involved in a war directly against the United States. It would always be with Taiwan as the excuse and American aid coming into the into play. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose when we look at sort of tyrants in the in the Middle East and and people who have a you know a terrible human rights record, and we have to play nice with them because perhaps we're reliant on oil for fuel and, and things like that. And it seems like perhaps one day, if this isn't just complete utopian thinking, there may be a source of green energy, perhaps where we can cut ties with people like Saudi Arabia and not have to play nice with them because we are we can become self sufficient with some sort of green uh, fuel. Uh, in terms of China. What, what are we most reliant on there? It seems far more complicated and far far more embedded into our economic uh, systems than, say, just a, an energy um, source, perhaps. I mean, what, what are some of their main exports that we rely on? Well, I mean, almost everything. Try to go a day, Stephen, without buying a product that was made in China. You can't do it uh, unless you bury yourself in a hole. Uh, it is China has identified a weakness of capitalism, which is everybody wants something that's cheap. And they will buy whatever is cheap and not very good, and that includes most Chinese products, uh, because you know they save 25 pence on it. Um, it's 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 just a, a failing of people that live in a free Western capitalistic society that they've come to the point of saying, you know, I don't care where it comes from. I don't care. I just want it cheap. Well, if you don't care where it comes from, then don't be surprised if one day Xi Jinping says, I'm in control of you now. Do what I tell you. Uh, what kind of products, among others? Cars. China is now making cars and exporting them at an enormous rate. They, they, they exported 4.4 million cars in 2023, and they're on schedule to export 5 million cars this year. That will make them the largest exporter of cars in the world, way surpassing Japanese cars. So, and then uh, I guess the, the point that I'd, I'd like to, to segue into, if possible, is that the Chinese development of, of artificial intelligence is moving much, much faster than anything that's happening in the United States or Australia or, or Europe. And China is not restricted by these concerns, oh, well, we have to have guardrails on what AI can do because we wouldn't want them to take over. China doesn't care. In fact, they would like AI to take over on every issue that affects the Western world. And that's, that's the topic of my last, of my most recent book. How how much of a danger does AI represent to us then? Because I I, I try and read about it as much as I can. I, I have a basic understanding of what it can be used for and what the implications, of, of course, can be. I mean, we just had some huge news come out the other day from Microsoft that perhaps they've used AI to kind of... Uh, uh, tell us what would be the, the correct amount of ingredients to produce some extremely durable and longer lasting lithium battery. Perhaps it's, uh, you know, the computation power it would have taken or the manpower rather to get there was much longer than AI managed to do it in. So that's, that's kind of a work in progress. Everyone who's an expert in AI seems to be terrified of the thing. How, how much of a role do you think AI is going to play in terms of, you know, global conflict? Well, let me answer that with two points. Uh, one, the experts that you mentioned are largely fakers. Uh, they, right. say that, they say there's an expert, uh, there's no test for that. There's no way of proving it. You don't get a diploma that says expert on it. Uh, so most of them are doing what they think is good for them or for the company that they work for. Uh, and whether it's good for mankind is way down on their list of importance. Now, as to what AI can do, we have to face it. I mean, some of the great thinkers of all time, Socrates, Cicero, uh, Albert Einstein, etc. 
Oppenheimer of the most recent movie fame, you know, were geniuses. But they couldn't even begin to compete against an AI program. It's, it's, they're too fast. They're too perfect. They don't make mistakes. They don't need lunch. They don't get vacation. They don't do what their boss says. They just do it. And we can never compete with that. It was like, it's like those famous chess matches where Bobby Fischer played against a, a robot or a computer, rather, um, played chess against them. And he was destroyed because you can't, because thinking is involved in chess until it's not. They just, the AI machine just goes, yep, got it, got next, okay, got, got. It. And at the same time, somebody, you know, a human is saying, excuse me, I just need to cough for a second. Well, while you had that little cough, a decision got made that you can't do anything about. So AI is a, is a, a it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like, like saying, is it good for us to go into outer space? I, I can't answer that question. We're there, we're doing things. We, we landed on the moon, which is an amazing accomplishment. But at the same time, we've now polluted outer space with, with, with satellites and garbage that's out there. And so was it a good idea to go there or not? And, and what's the effect on the climate in, the United, in, in America or in the rest of the world? We don't know these things. And at the same time, governments, well-intentioned governments are saying, this is the race to the future. Future of what? They don't know. They're not experts. What What's your prognosis then, humanity-wise? I mean, we haven't been here for particularly long in the in the eight. You know, how, however long the Earth's been here. I mean, it seems like we we obviously we know we won't always be here. Uh, what do you see in the future for us? Are you, are you hopeful that uh, if we can survive natural disasters uh, and you know pandemics, that perhaps we can avoid killing each other to extermination? Well, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to use cliches, and I, I don't want to be be misinterpreted uh, as an idealist. I, I believe in God. Uh, I believe there is a God, and, and I hope that God protects us from ourselves. Um, you know, we've been told so many times that this is the end of humanity. Climate change is the end of humanity. Donald Trump is the end of humanity. Nuclear weapons are the end of humanity. Well, we've gotten through them so far, but that doesn't mean that our luck will continue. And AI is, is definitely a potential threat to humanity because it is so superior to the human mind. I mean, even great writers, not including myself, but you know, great writers uh, are a little bit worried that AI can write better than they can. And again, the, the reader, if he, if he or she can get a book that costs 25% of what a new author's book costs, I don't care where it came from, I'm just gonna read it. Well, that's very short-sighted, and pretty soon you're going to be reading books by AQ two three five five six, and and it's not a good idea. Well, that that brings me nicely on to a question from Carol Q one two one in the chat. Unsurprisingly, a lot of people are fascinated with your time at Fox News. They've asked, uh, in what aspect would you say the biggest change has been from when you first joined Fox to when you left? Oh wow. Um, the founding chairman of Fox News was Roger Ailes, uh, a very uh, uh, many-dimensional, let's call him, man. He certainly had some personal failings, which we all have heard about and seen movies about, etc. But he was a leader, and he knew how to lead, and he knew how to create 
a workforce that was all in sync with his ideas. And that's what made Fox News so powerful in the early days. Um, the change, you, you've mentioned changes. I, 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 have to, I have to say that I think that when Donald Trump uh, announced his candidacy for the presidency and cozied up as, as much as he tried to do to Rupert Murdoch, that it had perhaps an unintended effect on the coverage of politics in Fox News. And, and when Trump inevitably said, hey, look, you know, we're friends and we're, we're colleagues, but, but you do what I say. I'm the most important one here, not Fox. And started saying that, Rupert Murdoch and others just said, oh, Donald, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. It's, it's friendship, actually. It's not, it's not uh, master-pet relationships. And so that's what caused them to do this pirouette and start to become very critical of Donald Trump. And I think many people have, have noticed that they first tried to uh, back um, DeSantis for for the nomination, and I think now they're they're sort of pushing Nikki Haley. Um, none of which is good for for news coverage. You're supposed to be objective about it, but certainly they've they've taken um, a big turn. And now I think tonight, in fact, in America, uh, Donald Trump's going to be doing a uh, a town hall meeting on Fox while DeSantis and and Haley pretend to have a debate on another network. Uh, so he had a huge effect on how Fox does things. And and I, I just can't discount the importance of leadership. That's a great answer. Uh, a Nexus has asked a good question. Uh, does Mr. Moody see how the Chinese Communist Party already has done a soft conquering of the West? Yes, I certainly do. And great question. Uh, you call it soft, but, you know, soft eventually hardens into bricks. And that's what we're looking at down the road. Um, China, here's the thing to remember about China. They have become part of the world economy, as you mentioned earlier, Stephen. Um, but, and, and so therefore we assume that they're going to play by the same rules as everybody else. They don't, they cheat, they lie. That's two hallmarks of Chinese policy towards the rest of the world. They cheat and then they lie. Um, you know, you, you wait a minute, you said you were going to allow our products in, but now you're only allowing our products in if we, if we make them in China and share the profits with you. You didn't say that before. Yes, we did. Oh, yeah, you missed it. No, no, it's there. Yeah, we said that. They cheat and they lie. I mean, that's, that, that's what you can always count on when you're dealing with somebody from the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. I mean, what are the solutions here then? Because as you've, you've already eloquently point, pointed out, we're so reliant on them for so many things. It, it seems to me that perhaps the horse has already bolted it in that regard. Are we just in the pocket of China forevermore now? Are there, are there legitimate ways in which we could kind of reverse the process? We can all take a deep breath and look at where these products are made and not buy something that's made in China. Now, I know, they're going, oh, I can't do that. It's too far gone. Da, da. Look, everybody says, I can't do it. It's too big for me to handle. No, it's not. Just stop buying that stuff. You'll be happier. You'll be more patriotic. And you might be making a change in the world when you don't even know what's going on. That's a, that's a great answer as well. And obviously it takes takes kind of grassroots action, doesn't it, to make any sort of change? Just a, a bit of a left field one. I, I just want to get your perception on something that was big news, making headlines not so long ago, uh, but seems to have kind of died and gone away. It was these, you know, quote unquote, Chinese uh, spy balloons that were in the sky in America. And there was a lot of security, uh, you know, panic and, and concern, a lot of debate about them afterwards. What What's your perception of, of what was going on there? Was it, is it, 
far more sinister than people realize or is it kind of overblown? Americans have the memory span of a hummingbird. <laughs> um, for, you know, for, for five days, the news media led us around and showed us pictures of these balloons and said, oh my goodness, we, who could ever have believed that they would use balloons against us? Well, you know, it's not the Wizard of Oz. It, these are military balloons. Uh, and and then they shot it down, which was well overdue. I, I think I'll say this about President Biden. I think that his decision to shoot down the balloon over the ocean was the right one. It could have caused death and damage. And and he in that respect, his judgment was what showed through. But he did shoot it down. China was outraged. How can you do that to an innocent weather balloon? You know, weather balloons have feelings, too. They're humans. No, no, they're not. No. And and. So our attention span is so limited these days, you know, we, we can't bother to continue to be interested in China and whether it's a threat to us because we have to see who won the Golden Bachelor show. Uh, you know, these, these things are so misplaced in their, in their level of importance that we are, are, we are doing to ourselves what we fear China might be able to do. Um, you know, I, I believe it was Lenin who said, we will sell the capitalists the rope with which they will hang themselves. They're doing it. And we don't even know that. And by the way, Lenin was not just a beetle. He was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big Lebowski joke in there somewhere. But John, I've really enjoyed this this conversation and uh, I'm very you know, grateful for you to bring your experience and expertise to this show uh, and share your knowledge on, on China. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to point people towards before I let you get back to your day and, and where can people find more of your, your writing and work? Well, yeah, the, the books are all available on, on the usual sources, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Apple books, etc. cetera. Um, I, I would just say that if you, if you are thinking about buying any of my books or any other books, if you have an independent news, uh, an independent bookstore in your neighborhood, ask them to stock it, buy it there. We have to keep these guys in business. We're dying otherwise. And, and you don't want Amazon to be the only source of books in the world because the next thing you know, they'll be deciding what books are good. That's a great point, John. Thank you very much for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. So did I, Stephen. Thank you. Have a good day.